0: And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, it's Matt Salmon again for Mike Broomhead. Happy New Year. Uh, happy maybe we get a new Speaker of the House day, possibly maybe, uh, at the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, It is, uh, it's a great day to be alive, and all this rain, isn't it great? I know a lot of people get uh, frustrated with driving on I-17 and the snow and everything, but you know what? Uh, It's going to probably go a long way toward helping us deal with our water woes here in Arizona. California, too, is getting more than their uh, share of moisture, both in the Sierras, uh, in snowpack, and actually, it's the snowpack uh, that really, really goes to help the water situation and uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm one that's really thankful uh, to see all the moisture that we've been getting. Um, it's uh, unprecedented and it's welcome and uh, hopefully it's going to go a long way toward helping us in Arizona deal with our critical water issues. But I'm not talking about water right now. I want to talk about uh, this new poll that's out that says that Donald Trump is in trouble. Not in the general only, but in the primary as well. By a 56% to 33% margin, conservative voters picked Governor Ron DeSantis over the former president who formally launched his new campaign last month. The Suffolk University USA Today poll found President Joe Biden had higher approval numbers as well uh, than Donald Trump. This uh, is very, very interesting. The the guy that's the director of Suffolk University Political Research Center said this. His name is uh, David Paliogos. There's a new Republican sheriff in town. Republicans and conservative independents increasingly want Trumpism Without Trump. According to the National Survey, Mr. DeSantis also leads Mr. Biden by 47% to 43%. Now, let's uh, let's walk down memory lane, think about some of the things that uh, have happened in the last several months. Uh, you know, it, I, and I know this intimately, up close and personal, because uh, as many of you may know or may not know, I, I was actually in the race for governor. And uh, President Trump, in a kind of unprecedented way, came out and endorsed a newcomer, uh, He endorsed Carrie Lake in the governor's primary, and it helped her in the primary be successful because the base uh, here in Arizona is still very, very much uh, supportive of President Trump, at least at that time. And uh, he, in an unprecedented way, all across the country, for a former president of the United States to come out and endorse so many people is very unprecedented. But most of those people that he weighed in for in the primary were successful. And then we were told by the pundits and the pollsters and the prognosticators that it was going to be a wonderful banner year for the Republican Party. It wasn't just going to be a red wave. It was going to be a red tsunami of Republican voters. And you look at historical trends. What, what typically happens in the off-election year of the presidential election is that the uh, opposite party of the president, the person in power uh, at the White House, has tremendous gains and you think about it in our time uh, when President uh, Bill Clinton had his off election year in 1994 that was the contract with America with Newt Gingrich where I was first elected to the U.S. House House of Representatives and we had a phenomenal win across the board and we went in and I, I think we had 72 or 73 new incoming Republican freshmen that won across the board because uh, people were tired of Bill Clinton's overreach, and and uh, that's where the hysterical trends were. Then during George Bush's midterm election, that's when the Democrats swept into power, and there was a Democrat tsunami. And then again during obama's uh, uh off election year that's when the republicans that's uh when in 2010 after the uh, affordable health care act not so affordable health care act the uh, obamacare as a lot of us lovingly call it uh where we have to read the bill after we pass the bill to understand what's in it uh, as nancy Pelosi famously said there was a a resurgence of Republican support that went back into office. And the Republicans took over. I went back to Congress two years later and uh, was there uh, trying to fight to uh, repeal Obamacare. But with those historical trends, with the fact that our inflation is at – uh world resounding you know numbers right now that uh it, it never it, at least not in in decades have we seen this kind of inflation not since probably Jimmy Carter have we seen interest rates going where they're going uh for home mortgages and uh the price of gasoline you almost have to take out a loan uh, to fill your car with gas and uh and, and all of those things the 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 horrible uh, exodus from Afghanistan uh, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine all of the horrible things happening in the world situation the United States uh, uh, decreased status in the world uh, our economy falling apart and historical trends everybody of course is going to predict there's going to be this big big Republican wave Republican tsunami but what they didn't account for was Trump The fact is that uh, while all of those people or most of those people uh, that he got behind had successful primaries, uh, they turned out miserably in the general election. Because people uh, on uh, the, the, the folks that uh, decide those elections, the independents and uh, the moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans who have a tendency to vote not along just party lines, but for the candidates, they came out once again and told us in a very, very, very strong way that candidates matter. And so uh, here in Arizona... In an unprecedented way. We're, we're back to where we were in the 50s with two Democrats in the U.S. Senate, with a Democrat uh, governor, a Democrat secretary of state, a Democrat attorney general. And, and that uh, tsunami not only became a puddle, but it actually in Arizona was a boon for Democrats. They had a, a banner year. And so then uh, there was really only one factor to look at. Because because it was uh, it was given that we were going to win these big 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 numbers, but we didn't because of Donald Trump, and then everybody was begging Donald Trump not to announce his presidency uh, before Herschel Walker's race, but the president couldn't help a former president couldn't help himself had to weigh in and announce, and then Herschel Walker got beat, so now uh, we even have worse numbers than we did last term. Uh, in the U.S. Senate, um, it's fifty-one forty-nine instead of fifty-fifty. And one of the things we're going to talk about a little later—one of the big threats of uh, doing away with the filibuster and allowing the Democrats to stack the Supreme Court and possibly make uh, Puerto Rico and Washington D.C. states—all of these things uh, can uh, could happen because Donald Trump weighed in and selected candidates that were unelectable, uh, like we saw here in Arizona. We saw across the country with, uh, uh, with uh, Pennsylvania and the nomination of uh, uh, a candidate that uh, could not win the U.S. Senate. In fact, he lost to a guy that can't even put two sentences together. What does that say about the caliber of people that uh, Donald Trump uh, got out and endorsed? But the fact is that his uh, star power uh, – as uh, uh, as i mentioned earlier in this poll shows that uh, he's waning and then we saw what happened with uh, Kanye West and with uh, Nick Fuentes and on and on and on. And then his statement that we should do away with the Constitution and reinstall him as president of the United States, or at least do away with parts of the Constitution, have made a lot of people go sour on him. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later on uh, if you stick with us in the program. But uh, elections matter. Candidates matter. And so stick with us in uh, the next segment. And I think you'll like what you hear. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Good morning and Happy New Year. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. Uh, Last segment, we talked a little bit about uh, the new poll that's out that shows uh, Ron DeSantis uh, surpassing. Uh, former president trump uh in the uh, conservative polls uh to become the nominee for next uh, president of the united states in 2024 um i want to just uh talk a little bit about that again before i go into the next segment but um the fact is, I voted for Donald Trump back in 2016. I voted for him in 2020, voted for him against Hillary Clinton, Voted uh, certainly voted against uh, against uh, President Biden and for Donald Trump. Um, but And I really like a lot of the things that uh, he got accomplished as president. The uh, fact is, he put together a uh, Supreme Court that's the best one I can remember in my entire lifetime, and uh, they actually understood... The Constitution, they understand the separation of powers, they understand the rights uh, that we as Americans are superior to anything else in our Constitution, our government, the inalienable rights are more important than anything else that we stand for and they should be protected above all else. And so there were some really, really good things accomplished. I love the way he stood up to China. Some of the things I didn't like, I didn't like the spending. And the welfare, and I a lot of the spending that happened during COVID, all you can say is it was welfare. Welfare at it, its worst. Uh, I mean, my dead mother got a $1,200 check three years after her death for COVID. Crazy, stupid. And uh, had Donald Trump's signature on it uh, because he was uh, trying to pass out money uh, to uh, buy the next election. I mean, that pre- presidents do that all the time. Uh, but, you know, when somebody on your side does it, it gets a little bit frustrating. And, you know, one of the things that's always frustrated me is the amount of spending that's going on in Washington, D.C. And uh, he certainly increased the deficit more than his fair share. Uh, right now, the federal debt is over $30 trillion. And uh, when you add in the uh, unfunded mandates, which uh, include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and debt service, it's over $100 trillion that we owe. I mean, those numbers are unfathomable. I can't even think about it. We're passing that on to our children and our grandchildren, and we're so far in debt we can't even uh, we can't even look out. And when you look at uh, the inflation, uh, it certainly has to do with the idea of quantitative easing, uh, where the Federal Reserve has had to go in and print more money uh, to fund government uh, expansion, which, again, happened as well under Trump. So, I, I, you know, I liked much of what Trump did. And I voted for him both times, but I'm so ready to move on. And I can tell you, Ron DeSantis is the real deal. He's one of the best guys uh, I've ever gotten a chance to know. I, I, he actually became my closest friend uh, when I was elected uh, in 2012 to go back as uh, congressman from Arizona. Uh, he and I co-sponsored legislation together uh, that created a new amendment to the Constitution that said basically this. Congress, members of Congress, have to live under the same laws they pass on to everybody else. Seems like common sense, right? That's the kind of guy that Ron DeSantis is. He's a common sense individual. And so what you basically get with him is all the great Trump ideas with all, all the Trump baggage. And I think it's time uh, for us to look forward and to move on. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to just sit here and bag on somebody. The fact is, a lot of great things were accomplished. But I don't like the way that Donald Trump has comported himself uh, as he's left uh, the White House. The fact is, we are a nation of laws we are a nation that is uh, the rule of law and the constitution and this idea that he suggested that we should terminate parts of the constitution so that he could be reinstalled make, makes my skin crawl uh it, it's horrible it's a horrible idea and the fact is uh that you when you have uh, allegations that are made On stolen elections like Carrie Lake continues to make, you get your day in court. She got two days in court. And she lost. It's time to move on, folks. You got to either put up or shut up. So you prove your case or you don't. If you don't prove your case, then you got to move on. And you got to uh, do everything that you can to make uh, things as good as possible because that's our job. Well, in the next segment, we're going to uh, have a little bit more happy note and a little bit more optimistic note. So I hope to stick with us. Hello. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Good morning, everybody. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead, and happy, happy New Year. Hope it's a prosperous and successful one for each and every one of you out there. In less than a half hour, we're going to be watching history occur. We're going to be having the election for the Speaker of the House. And in close to 100 years, no, exactly 100 years, is the last time that they had to go through multiple ballots on the floor uh, before the Speaker was elected. You're probably going to see that unfold before your very eyes. There are 235 members, excuse me, 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives. It takes a majority of those on the floor. If everybody's on the floor, it'll take 218 votes to elect the next Speaker of the House. And the Republicans only have 222 to 212 on the Democrat side. And then not to mention the fact that one of the members that's been elected is under a cloud of uh, negativity. Uh, congressman Alex Santos, for all of his embellishments, is probably going to be facing ethics investigations and complaints. But McCarthy's being silent on that because he needs, needs every vote. But at uh, 10 o'clock our time, noon, at the nation's capital, you're going to see uh, a historic vote uh, for the Speaker of the House. 14 members on the Republican side. And again, remember, they can only lose four. 14 have said that they're not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. So I'm going to give you an insider's view of what exactly is happening and have things like this happen before. And the answer to those things is even in the last hundred years, yes. In uh, the 90s, New Gingrich was the Speaker of the House, and uh, he faced a similar situation. There's a a procedure called a motion to vacate the chair. At the time, Gingrich was the Speaker of the House. It only took one member. One member of the entire body brings up a motion to vacate, and it must be heard. And uh, uh, after the election in 1996, Uh, I was actually a member of the House, and I actually led the charge uh, to deny uh, the vote to Gingrich as Speaker. What later ensued was that everybody kind of galvanized around uh, the uh, Appropriations Chairman, uh, Bob Livingston, uh, to become Speaker of the House. New Gingrich announced after I said I had enough votes to deny him the Speakership. I went on Larry King Live and, and announced that. Uh, and then, uh, t- three days later. Uh, New Gingrich resigns as Speaker of the house he didn 't have the votes, so he didn 't want to face what mccarthy 's going to be facing today and uh, and then everybody galvanized like I said, behind uh, Bob Livingston. Well, another interesting twist during that particular time frame was the impeachment of Bill Clinton for his uh, activities in the Oval Office with a young intern named Monica Lewinsky. Remember that down Memory Lane. And uh, uh, one of the uh, purveyors of smut uh, of uh, Hustler magazine, Larry Flint, came out and offered a million dollars to anybody that would come forward and say they had an affair or were having inappropriate relationship with a Republican member uh, of the Congress. And at that time, two women came forward and said they had a tryst with uh, uh, Bob Livingston. And I was sitting there on the floor. During that fateful day when uh, he's giving his speech and says, you know what, Uh, uh, Bill Clinton has, uh, you know, has sullied the office and and because of his actions, he should resign. And then I remember sitting on the floor and all the Democrats were screaming, you resign, you resign. And he's waving them down and says, you know what, hold on. And it's for those reasons that I'm going to live by my own words and I'm going to resign. And then all the Democrats said, no, no, no. I mean, it was it was the funniest show you ever saw. Uh, But uh, funny and sad at the same time. But anyway, Bob Livingston ended up not uh, uh, pulling himself, actually resigned from the House. And then uh, everybody galvanized behind uh, a very uh, soft-spoken... Uh, nondescript guy named Denny Hastert and you probably remember, uh, his debacle and, and how, uh, later on in life, uh, after he was speaker, some people came forward and said he had inappropriate relationships when he was their coach. And uh, and and he was deposed as speaker. So that's one time that uh, this motion to vacate the chair was in effect. The second time that I remember was and I was actually there as well, was with John Boehner, when Mark Meadows, who later became the chief of staff for Donald Trump, as a member of the House, filed that motion to vacate and uh, prompted John Boehner. To resign as speaker that's what kevin mccarthy is facing today so why is there all the hoopla on? why are why are members frustrated members are frustrated because there's a thing called regular order the house of representatives is supposed to be different different from the senate because people are supposed to be there in a representative capacity to represent uh those members in their in their state or excuse me in their uh, federal legislative districts And they're supposed to have an equal say with all other 435 members of the House as to the priorities of our nation. The funding priorities, the policies. But yet, in the past, back in the 90s when I first served... We passed every appropriation bill, 13 appropriation bills, and there was what you call regular order where each of those appropriation bills had to be authorized and appropriated. Authorized by the authorizing committee, appropriated by the appropriations committee, and it had to go through a, a very strong vetting process where everybody got a chance to thoroughly analyze uh, that, le- uh, that uh, the proposed legislation, the budget legislation, and to cast a vote. Well, in the last, 20-some years, that process is completely evaporated, and what happens is the leadership goes behind closed doors. This has happened with both Republicans and Democrats. And a handful of people out of the 435 determine all the priorities. They come up with a voluminous bill that nobody can read. They give it to them just a a couple hours before the vote, and there's no way that everybody can read it. It's impossible, physically impossible. And then they're expected to cast a vote just because leadership says so. Well, members don't like that. I don't think American public should like that. And we should hope that and want that there is regular order and that everybody has a say and that all constituencies throughout the United States are represented and that their voices are heard. That's one of the big issues. And so that's when, when you get frustrated and you say, oh, these Republicans can't shoot straight. They're doing a circle or firing squad and all this other stuff. Know full well that leadership on both sides for years and years and years has become more of a dictatorship than anything, not the democracy or the, uh, the constitutional republic that we believe that it should be. And so there's a lot more at stake than I think a lot of people really understand or know. And that's why this thing is unfolding before our eyes. But uh, we're going to have a lot more to talk about in the next segment. I hope you'll stick with us and hope you're uh, off to a great new year. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Good morning and Happy New Year, Arizona. I'm Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. It's KTAR. And we're going to talk about a positive thing right now, a very, very positive thing. Uh, in the uh, poll question of the day, the big poll question today with uh, Gatos, uh, you remember he was uh, talking about what happened last night uh, with uh, the NFL game that was postponed because one of its star players uh, collapsed on the field. And as Gatos pointed out, literally died on the field and then was revived. And the whole nation obviously is watching and praying and hoping that uh, he's going to recover and that he'll be back in uh, full uh, swing, not in the very distant future. He's still in critical condition. But uh, this is not uh, to regurgitate the negativity and the sadness of that event, but to talk about something very, very positive uh, DeMar Hamilton's Toy Drive fundraiser tops $3 million in donations hours after his on-field collapse. Um, as fans awaited news of, on Hamlin's condition, donations poured into a GoFundMe fundraiser he started clear back in 2020. And I believe that up until that point, uh, it had only raised like about twenty or $25,000. Uh, money to p- purchase toys for children he wrote at the time, As I embark on my journey to the NFL, I will never forget where I, came, where I come from, and I'm committed to using my platform to positively impact the community that raised me. I created the Chasing M's Foundation as a vehicle that would allow me to uh, deliver that impact. Now, that fundraiser, uh, again, I told you uh, since uh, 2020, he's, uh, raised about $25,000. The fundraiser topped 74000 just one hour after Hamlet's collapse and quickly grew to $2,033,270 just before 1 a.m. And on Tuesday, it then soared to more than $3,000,000 just an hour and 20 minutes later with more than 119,000 donations. Following his injury on the field tonight, fans across the country are showing their support for him and his fi- family by donating to his fundraiser. GoFundMe tweeted on Monday night. You know, I remember uh, I uh, had just come back from Russia the night before uh, uh, the uh, horrible uh, happening on 9-11. And... Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I was lucky enough to not get caught up in everything because I got back before all the horrible things uh, happened with the twin towers and the the uh, nation's capital and the Pentagon and and you know it, 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 and and the flight that uh, uh, that that went down when the the heroic uh, passengers uh, confronted the terrorists and and took over the plane. Um, I, I flew back from, I was on a trip to Russia. I was actually in Siberia. Uh, of all things, I was fly fishing in Siberia for salmon. Don't make any jokes about that. Um, but, uh, I I really couldn't sleep. I was jet lagged and I got up kind of early and I went to the gym and I was on the treadmill and I'm watching the TV and I see the planes crashing in uh, to the Twin Towers. And I'm thinking, you know, it's a promo for some movie. Uh, You know, it, it, it just can't be real. And then as things unfolded, it was real. And because most of the sitting members of Congress uh, were being shuffled off to protective locations and couldn't be accessed, I was called as a former member of Congress and a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee to come on and be a commentator all day long uh, with uh, John Hook and Kerry Lake. Uh, and I I remember that day vividly. But I remember as you know we were all just in shock and and sadness and and unbelieving that this could happen in our nation uh you know I, I then we we then shuffled the cameras uh shuttered the cameras over to uh the blood banks and you saw the lines just winding around the block what was america's response besides i think Three of the months where our spirituality increased more than I've ever seen in my entire life in America. And people returned to their churches and prayed. Boy, do we need that right now, too. Boy, do we need to return to going back to churches and praying and, and getting back to things that really matter. But um, we saw... The response from people across America was not to lay down and cower in fear, but to stand up and to do everything that they could to try to make things better. You saw the heroes of nine eleven you know our nation 's first responders uh, that gloriously performed uh, heroically performed uh, to save lives and do what was needed to do and it showed the best side of America. Uh, that, too, was uh, Rudy Giuliana's finest hour. I think he's had some tough times since then. Uh, but uh, the, the, the country rose to the occasion, and we showed what we were really made of, and I think that that was a really, really positive thing. You know, we get a bad rap. Uh, I was in uh, France. Uh, this was several years ago. I was there with my wife and my daughter, Katie, and we were touring uh, the Eiffel Tower, and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I look like a tourist. I'm out taking pictures. And one of the French uh, folks there said, you filthy Americans, you know. He, and I, I, I remember saying to him, I probably should have held my tongue. But I, I said, Poliv, or or I, no, I, and I said, uh, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, uh, which is German for do you speak uh, German? And I uh, said, no, I do not speak German. And I said, well, you can thank America for that. Uh, fact is, we uh, bailed you out in World War II, uh, but you know the the people uh, in Europe think that we're the ugly Americans. We don't do anything positive. We don't have a socialism network like they do. We actually believe in capitalism, and we believe in free markets. And they think that that's greedy and horrible and terrible. And they say all these things about us that were stingy and, and heartless. But you see what happened there after this football player was injured and how people stood and rose to the occasion. There's another article that uh, leads with this. America the Generous, U.S. Leads Globe in Giving. Uh, America was the world's most generous country this past decade, according to the Charities uh, Aid Foundation's World Giving Index, which surveyed 1.3 million people in 125 countries. Not only do we give money, but 72% of Americans help strangers and 42% of us volunteer. We grew more generous during the pandemic of 20 and, 2020 and 2021. And why it matters, this cuts across religion, region, and age, with nearly 60% of Americans giving money last year. Average donation, $574 a person. We are prolific givers. We are a great country, and we don't deserve the bad rap that we get from a lot of these folks that love to armchair quarterback. Stick with us, folks. We're going to have some other interesting topics upon the new hour, and uh, thank you very much.